Gonzaga has a chance to pick up a big win in Seattle and avenge last week's loss to UW and last year's loss to UConn all at once. We're going to discuss what they need to do to make it happen on today's Locked on Zags podcast. You are Locked on Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome into the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by FanDuel. Folks, make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. So visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. Well, folks, a judge in West Virginia issued a temporary restraining order, which means all multi-transfer student-athletes are immediately eligible from now until December 27th. Doesn't directly impact Gonzaga, but it is a wild story going on right now in college athletics. We're going to get to that, but first, we're going to preview this game against the UConn Huskies. Battle in Seattle. I know they're not calling it that anymore, but we're going to call it that here on Locked on Zags. Friday, December 15th, 7 p.m. Pacific time. This game will be on ESPN2. It is a rematch, of course, of last year's Elite Eight, where UConn destroyed. I mean, they didn't just destroy Gonzaga for what it's worth. They beat up on everybody they played. One of the most dominant runs through the NCAA tournament we have seen a team have in a really long time. Gonzaga was one of many victims by them, really struggled in that contest as UConn, of course, went on to win the national championship, which is a rematch or a, a story that we have seen before for Gonzaga. Gonzaga lost in the 1999 NCAA tournament, that fantastic run. The slipper still fits. They lost to UConn that year. UConn also went on to win the national championship. So uh, one of the few teams that I think looks forward to seeing Gonzaga on the matchup uh, in the NCAA tournament is those UConn Huskies. Now the Zags did beat UConn in the Bahamas uh, in the 2015-2016 season. They also hosted them in Seattle once once before back in 2008 as part of the battle in Seattle there. So for Gonzaga, an opportunity to, again, win a game in Seattle that they weren't able to win last week against the Huskies, uh, beat the other Huskies in UConn and avenge the 15 years ago when they lost in the battle in Seattle and, of course, avenge uh, the loss in the NCAA tournament last year. So lots of great opportunities for Gonzaga. Before we get into what they need to do to actually win this game, I want to talk a little bit more about who this UConn squad is, who's still there, who's not still there, what they've looked like so far this season. Right now, the Huskies are 9-1 and one on the season. They have wins over Texas and Indiana, which both came in the Empire Classic, their MTE this year, which they won. They also have a big win over the Tar Heels of North Carolina. They also have wins over Arc Pine Bluff and Mississippi Valley State, which is not incredibly notable other than them both being opponents Gonzaga has already played this year. I don't know that that means a ton in terms of scouting, but I guess I could imagine that watching film of teams that you've also already seen and and experienced can kind of give you maybe a little bit more insight. Obviously, both sides get the same advantage there, but just 
something to note. Also, something we've talked about on the show before is how those schools like Arc Pine Bluff and Mississippi Valley State uh, are playing these ridiculously tough non-conference schedules as a way to kind of boost their athletic department. So when people say, oh, Gonzaga only ever plays these SWAC teams, like, no, there are other schools to do it too. UConn, you know, the defending national champions being willing to schedule these kind of opponents, I think, uh, gives us some insight into this being something that that isn't just happening uh, over in Spokane for Mark Few. Uh, Ken Palm currently has the Huskies fourth in the country right now, offensively also fourth uh, in, in Ken Palm's adjusted offensive efficiency. Defensively, they are 17th, one of the few teams that are top 20 in both categories. And then Tempo for Ken Palm has them 17th. Gonzaga is 81st. Interesting, this is another game th- this year, uh, same with the Huskies, where Gonzaga is playing a team that actually plays at a, a significantly quicker pace than they do. Not something you see very often for Gonzaga. There's some some depth concerns in the backcourt, I, I think, that may contribute to that, I suspect. Uh, as the year goes on, Gonzaga's adjusted tempo may end up climbing uh, through the rankings and, and will probably finish higher than 81st. So UCon- I think a lot of the story for UConn has been the losses. Adama Sanogo, the tournament most uh, most valuable player, one of the best players in the Big East last year, one of the best players in college basketball last year. Sanogo is out the door. Jordan Hawkins uh, out the door, huge, huge contributor for them as an outside shooter, floor spacer, really dynamic two-way guard. He's in the NBA killing it for the New Orleans Pelicans right now. Andre Jackson Jr., their defensive stalwart, kind of a do-it-all type guard. He's in the NBA as well. Naheem Aline transfers to St. John's. Joey Calcaterra, former San Diego guard, is graduated. So that's a lot of talent out the door. But it doesn't even really matter. This UConn team is just as good as they were last year, despite having to replace so much talent. Part of it is the guys they brought in. Part of it's the guys they kept. Tristan Newton, one of the best guards in the Big East, one of the best guards in the country, a guy that my co-host on the Locked On College Basketball podcast, Isaac Shade, predicted would be Big East Player of the Year. Pretty bold prediction, but looking pretty good so far for how Newton has played running the ship for the Huskies. Uh, Alex Caravan returns for his sophomore year. He is a lights-out three-point shooter at six foot eight. Really tough matchup for anybody to defend. Think like Moses Wood on steroids-type situation for who Caravan is. And then, of course, Donovan Klingon. Klingon is the backup center last year to Adama Sanogo, only played about 14 minutes per night, but was incredibly efficient in those 14 minutes. Now he's playing about 21 minutes per game, even better, even more efficient, possibly his final year of college basketball. Most project him to be a potential lottery pick or at least a first round pick in the NBA draft. Beyond those returnees, they also add Rutgers transfer Cam Spencer. Spencer's averaging just under 16 points per game, about three and a half assists, a little over a steal. He is also shooting 45.5%. He is a light-out three-point shooter. Not the same caliber athlete or overall player as Jordan Hawkins, but an arguably better pure three-point shooter, and he's going to be a matchup issue for Gonzaga. They also add Stefan Castle. And, and the storyline for, for UConn in a lot of ways is going to kind of depend on Castle, not just all season long, but particularly in this game as well. So Castle played in UConn's first two games of the season. He had 12 points and 17 points in those two games. And then he got hurt. And he missed a little under a month. I think it was like two and a half, three weeks of action. He played 20 minutes and 24 minutes in those first two games. He's only played two games since returning. He had three points against North Carolina in 10 minutes. And then he had seven points against Arkansas Pine Bluff in 18 minutes. That's it. That's all we've seen from Stefan Castle up to this point. The big question is whether this is the game where they really fully integrate uh, Castle back into the lineup. Does he start again? He hasn't started 
since he returned from that injury. Solomon Ball has been has stepped into a starting role for UConn. He's looked fine. He's not the same caliber athlete or player as Castle, but he's he's adequate. But I think for UConn, this might be the game where they put Castle back in that lineup and really let him kind of loose. He's a top 10 prospect in the entire class, a guy many expect to be a top five pick in the NBA draft, especially if he can get healthy and kind of showcase those tremendous athleticism. He's a jumbo guard. He can do a little bit of everything. He's, uh, we talked about Spencer being a tough matchup as an outside shooter. Stefan Castle is a nightmare matchup. If he's fully healthy and playing like he's capable, he's very few people in college basketball are able to to fully guard him. Castle's health is not the only storyline for the Huskies in terms of injuries, though. Alex Caravan did suffer a finger injury last week. Donovan Klingon has a toe injury. The reports, as we're recording this right now on Wednesday evening, seem to indicate both players are expected to be fine and fully healthy, and there's not really any mystery about that right now. I'm pretty not concerned about Caravan. Like, I, I think he's going to be healthy. I don't think there's much to, to really talk about there. Klingon, though, toe injuries can really linger, and they can kind of come back. Like, they're, once they're gone, they're not necessarily gone. And for seven feet, guys who are seven foot two, for guys who are well over 260 pounds, like, that's a lot of, of pressure that you're putting on your toes. And, you know, I, I don't want Klingon to be hurt, obviously. It would be, uh, would help Gonzaga in that sense. But I'm curious if you will truly be 100%. There's no, unless he suffers some setback that we haven't heard about, there's no indication he's, you know, not play or anything like that. But there, it is possible he's maybe not quite at 100%. So that'll be a, a key storyline to kind of watch uh, getting into this game. And then got to shout out the Tristan Newton versus Ryan Nemhard matchup. These two guys have battled each other a handful of times, of course, from uh, Nemhard's time as the point guard at Creighton, uh, familiar with each other's games. Uh, I think that'll make a kind of a fun dynamic to watch for as these are two two of the better point guards in the country getting a chance to to square off against each other yet again, this time with Nembhard wearing a different uniform. Well, what can Gonzaga do to exact revenge on last year and the battle in Seattle from 2008? We're going to look at some keys to victory for the Zags coming up after a word from today's sponsor, Prize Picks. Folks, Price Picks offers weekly promotions that can lead you to big payouts like their Taco Tuesday deals. Every Tuesday, Price Picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide you with even more value. Plus, with Price Picks' reboot policy, your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. So for NFL games and college football top 25 matchups, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and they do not return in the second half, that player is rebooted. Price Picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with injury insurance. And guys, this app is just really easy to use. All you have to do is pick two or more players and you choose more or less with the given stat. And right now, Price Picks is offering Kevin Durant for just 0.5 points on Christmas against Dallas. If Kevin Durant scores one point against the Mavericks, and I'm telling you right now, he's gonna, he's going to do so, then that is a win for you. So go to pricepicks.com slash college. Use the promo code LockedOnCollege for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's pricepicks.com slash college. Use promo code LockedOnCollege for a first deposit match of up to $100. PrizePicks, it's daily fantasy sports made easy. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and 
Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, folks, I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags and Locked On, Locked on Zags your first listen or your first watch of the day. Excuse me. I also want to shout out all of you who have joined us on our Discord channel. It is free. It is available in the show notes if you click the link. There's over 270 of us in there, and we're talking about the Zags. We're talking about UConn. We're talking about all things going on in college basketball, literally 24-7. So just pop in if you have questions, thoughts, concerns, things that you just want to chat about with other Gonzaga fans. It is a perfect place to meet and hang out. Now we're going to move on and do our five keys to victory. Again, for those of you who are everyday listeners, you know that for every preview of every Gonzaga game, we either do a keys to a victory or a five things to watch, depending on the caliber of opponent. Obviously, UConn is going to be an extremely difficult team for Gonzaga to defeat the toughest team they will play all year uh, outside of maybe Purdue. And even then, there is an argument uh, between those two teams right now. So we're going to talk about what we think Gonzaga needs to do, what we'd like to see them do in an effort to secure a victory here over the Huskies. Number one, I think, is perhaps the biggest key, and that's using Gonzaga's bigs to space the floor and pull Donovan Klingon away from the rim. Klingon is a capable defender away from the rim, but his strengths lie on the block. He is big. He is physical. He's a better athlete than he looks like, but he's not an elite athlete. Most guys, his size aren't. It's just a lot of body to be moving around as much as you have to. Meanwhile, Gonzaga's got four bigs who are shooting 38.9% from three or higher. Anton Watson is technically Gonzaga's worst three-point shooter purely from percentage this season, and he's shooting a career-high 38.9%. Anton's been fantastic from beyond the arc. Graham E.K. is shooting 40%. It is four of 10, and that is part of, it's a little bit misleading, but Graham is capable of stepping out and shooting threes, and anybody who has watched his film this year knows that. Donovan Klingon, if he is perfectly willing to leave Graham E.K. wide open for three, Graham is capable of making him pay. Beyond that, Ben Gregg, 43%. Braden Huff, 46.7%. All four of Gonzaga's bigs can shoot it. You have to defend them at the rim. That means that Donovan Klingon never really gets an opportunity to just anchor himself down in the paint and kind of slow down Gonzaga's drives and and, and protect the rim. He's not going to be able to do that especially if Gonzaga commits to spacing the floor, spreading things out. That's not how Gonzaga does things most of the time. They like to operate with Graham E.K. on the block and passing the ball around to try to get him position. And certainly they will do that to some degree. And perhaps it will also prov- it'll also put Klingon in situations where he could get in foul trouble. That would be a huge benefit for Gonzaga as well if they were able to do that. But if he's, he's a great defender. If he's using his body, using his size, preventing Graham from scoring easily and not committing fouls, then I think Gonzaga has to look at alternate ways to pull him away from the rim, create some more driving room for Ryan Nemhard, for Nolan Hickman, so those guys can get to the basket, uh, get you know get points that way, as opposed to feeling like uh, we have to try to score around or over Klingon. Which, if if that's their their plan, it's it's probably not going to work very well. He's very very good down there. Key number two is lock down on UConn shooters. Here's the deal: UConn's got great shooters, but as a team, they're only shooting thirty three point six percent. 
Gonzaga, who many of you and myself included have not considered a good three-point shooting team this year, they're shooting 33.2. These teams are basically the same overall in terms of their three-point percentage output. The difference is that UConn has a couple of guys who are really good at it. Cam Spencer, 45.6% on the season so far. Alex Caravan is only at 35, which is lower than he was last year. Now, I did see a stat that Caravan, through his career, which is only you know 10 games into his sophomore year, uh, he has been 40-plus percent against top-ranked teams. He's a really good three-point shooter when it matters, and he's going to be a good three-point shooter in this game. Tristan Newton has always been a bit inconsistent from beyond the arc, but so far this season he is shooting 34.7%. The rest of the team isn't good. Not good three-point shooters on this roster outside of those three guys. We haven't seen a ton from Stefan Castle. He's only 20% so far, but he's only played four games. So he's he's a guy you kind of want to watch in that situation. But for Gonzaga, lock down on those guys. And that's easier said than done. If teams were fully capable of locking down on Caravan and Spencer, they wouldn't be averaging over 14 points per game and shooting really well from three. But I think that's vital for Gonzaga. Their three-point defense this year has been better. And one of the biggest criticisms about Gonzaga for literally the entirety of the Mark Few era is their three-point defense. It has been an area of strength this year. And I think that it's vital that they continue that in this game against UConn. UConn can beat you other ways. They don't need to beat you from three. But for Gonzaga to win, they can't let them do that. They can't let them beat them. If Cam Spencer's getting open looks from three consistently in this game, it's going to be a problem. So that's a huge area. That's And we'll talk about it more later, but that's where Dusty Stromer comes into play in a huge way. Potentially, June Sokyo comes into, into play in a big way here. Of course, Anton Watson always heavily relied upon for Gonzaga's defense, but that's going to be a big factor in this one. Key number three, jump out to a fast start. Get going early. Look, this, it's a neutral site game technically, but it is a pro-Gonzaga crowd. This place is going to be popping off. Yours truly will be there. I'm extremely excited for this opportunity. I know many of you are going to be there as well. And I'll tell you right now, you know it if you're going to be there. If Nolan Hickman hits an early three, if Gonzaga gets a steal and gets a dunk in transition, that place is going to explode. Climate Pledge Arena is going to be on earthquake watch. If that thing gets going early, if Gonzaga gets like a 7 nothing lead, forces an early timeout from Danny Hurley and the UConn Huskies, that place is going to explode. Gonzaga did this to, to USC. UConn is a much better team than USC. I don't want to compare those two things. But a neutral site game, a pro-Gonzaga crowd, Gonzaga jumped out to a 13-2 lead, forced an early timeout, and basically the two teams played even after that, but Gonzaga never let USC get back into it. Again, UConn's probably not... If they get punched, they're going to counterpunch better than USC was capable of counterpunching. But let's make them have to do it, right? Go get a lead. Go make that crowd explode. Make it so the announcers can barely hear themselves talking. Make it so Danny Hurley has to scream to get a timeout so the refs can hear him. And then, you know, you'll absorb their, their licks after that. But jumping out to that big lead is vital. Key number four for Gonzaga, you got to slow UConn down. And I know that seems counterintuitive. Gonzaga's not usually slowing teams down. Typically, they're the ones getting slowed down by the opposing team. But right now, Gonzaga just doesn't have the depth to try to run with UConn. They just don't. UConn's the 17th fastest team tempo-wise in the country. They have the horses. They have the depth, especially with Castleback, to be able to run and run and run and run. And that's what they're going to try to do. And if Gonzaga tries to run with them, Gonzaga also tries to push out and transition. And I'm not saying they should ignore transition opportunities when they come up, but it's just not, I don't think it's an area they can win. 
But if they can slow UConn down, there's a couple ways to do that. Take, take a little longer on your half-court possessions. Again, don't avoid opportunities to get out in transition. But if you're not out in transition, slow it down. Don't force it into Graham E.K. unless he's actually open. Swing it around the key a couple more times. Slow the pace down. Force UConn to have to play at your pace. And then defensively, they could try zone defense. Maybe that throws UConn for a loop and, and potentially slows them down as they have to process switching to a different offense. And, and you know, that, that kind of thing can help. I, I think Gonzaga is probably not going to do a lot of the half-court trap in this game. Maybe we'll see some of that three-quarter court press. But again, that's the kind of thing that forces your guards to play harder and exert more energy on defense. And if you're not planning to play Luka Krinovich in this game, if you're not planning to play a lot of minutes from Jun Suk Yeo in this game, which is what we've seen when they've played opponents at or even close to this caliber, you, you can't put your guards in situations where they're just absolutely exhausted by halftime because then you're going to have the same situation you had at UW where maybe you do win the first half like they did against Purdue, like they did against UW. And then you fall apart in the second half because you don't have the energy from those guys to be able to withstand it. So slowing UConn down, preventing them from getting to do what they like to do out in transition, throwing them out of their rhythm offensively. Those are some, some keys as well for Gonzaga. And then last but not least, big came from the role players. Really, for Gonzaga to beat UConn, it's all hands on deck. Everybody needs to play. Everybody needs, I mean, everybody needs to play well. No, you can't have like, oh, this guy had a bad game, this guy had a bad game, but because so-and-so played well off the bench, Gonzaga won. Like, it's probably not going to work that way. This this is just too talented of a team, too uh, strong of a team depth-wise for Gonzaga to beat without everybody playing well. Of course, E.K. Watson, Nemhard, Hickman, those guys need to play well. They need to play well for Gonzaga to beat almost any good team that they play. But you also need Dusty Stormer needs to have a great game. He needs to have a great game offensively and defensively. Dusty Stormer can't score less than five points for Gonzaga to win this game. Maybe I'll be proven wrong on that, but I don't think so. I think he needs to be spaced in the floor, hitting threes, forcing UConn to defend him like he did against USC. He also needs to have a monster game defensively. Yo needs to come off the bench and play well. The version of Yo we saw, especially in snippets uh, earlier this week against Mississippi Valley State, where he was blocking shots, where he was hitting threes, getting out in transition. You need that guy. You need that guy. He needs to play well in this game to spell the guards, to spell Dusty, to give a bigger physical look at the three to UConn. Like he's vital in this one as well. And of course the bigs. We know Ekan Watson needs to play well, but so do Braden Huff and Ben Gregg. Braden has only really had one strong game against a good opponent. And that was USC. And even in the USC game, he missed a few bunnies. Like it wasn't his strongest performance. This is a really good opportunity for Huff to put his name on the national radar by coming off the bench, doing what he's been doing at home, scoring early, scoring often, having that nose for the basketball, uh, scoring through contact, getting the free throw line, knocking down open threes. Like if Braden Huff looks anything like the Braden Huff, that we have seen at home in the, you know, the Lewis and Clark scrimmage, the Yale game, the Mississippi Valley State game, Arc Pine Bluff, any of those games. And he doesn't have to score 20 off the bench. But if he looks like that same player, if he is forcing Klingon away from the rim, if he is putting pressure on UConn's defense just by being a different look than EK and Watson, that's insanely valuable. And then, of course, Ben's energy, enthusiasm, defensive intensity, outside shooting, all of those things need to be there on Friday, every single one of them. If all of those guys, the entire rotation for Gonzaga plays well, this could absolutely be a W. But I worry that even if, you know, you pretty much need all of them. You pretty much need all of them. I don't think there's a lot of uh, guys can have a bad night and still come away with a victory here against this UConn team in Seattle. 
We're going to close out the show discussing a wild day in college athletics with a few significant college basketball players suddenly getting immediate NCAA eligibility. Before we get to that, though, I want to tell you about today's sponsor, FanDuel. As the weather gets colder, the college basketball offers stay hot on FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time than right now to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use. There is a wide range of betting options, which include spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. And right now, Gonzaga has negative 220 odds to win the WCC. That is a better odds than we had previously, in part because the loss to UW. But I'm still taking Gonzaga here over St. Mary's, no doubt. If you want to toss some money down on that, visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get in on the action this college basketball season. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. All right, folks, closing out the show today, talking about government. Talking about government in West Virginia because Judge John Preston Bailey in West Virginia court issued a temporary restraining order on Wednesday. What this means, as we're recording this on Wednesday at 4.30 Pacific time, I am putting a specific timestamp on it because I think this is a story that is changing by the minute. So I'm giving you what is currently the most up-to-date information. There is a Again, a temporary restraining order that goes through two weeks till December 27th. That means that student athletes who are seeking another a, a waiver to who have transferred twice, those players, this is included Efton Reed until he had his waiver approved. So that type of player, those players are all immediately eligible, instantly, but only for this two-week period of time. The NCAA has come out and indicated that they're Basically, that they're not going, that they aren't or can't do anything to prevent said players from being eligible from now until December 27th. As of this recording, the NCAA has not indicated anything beyond that. They have not indicated what they are going to do if, uh, we don't know what the results of the court case, so we don't know if this judge is going to allow them to then play for the rest of the season, if after December 27th they are no longer going to be deemed eligible. We don't really know any of that as of this recording. So coaches and players are kind of in a weird spot. They don't know what to do with certain players. Uh, we have a report that Jalen Cook, who is a transfer who started his career at LSU, uh, then was an all AAC player for two years at Tulane, is now back at LSU. He's one of the most notable two-time transfers who is still ineligible. He is not going to play for LSU. This is I'm recording this about an hour before LSU's game, so by the time you're listening to this, the game has already happened. He has not played or something changed, and he did play, in which case uh, I – you know, sorry, I guess I'm not able to give you that information, but the expectation as of right now is that he's not going to play. There are other situations. Andre Curbelo is at Southern Mississippi. Uh, he did not travel with the team because they've been waiting for his waiver and were frustrated that the NCAA wasn't giving him a waiver. So they didn't even have him travel. Now he could in theory play, but he is not with the team. There is a lot of weird situations going on right now. There are a lot of teams that have, you know, two to three games in this two-week period of time, but they're not really playing anybody good. And so they have to wonder, like, is it worth playing this player, changing my lineup, changing my rotation, uh, potentially causing, you know, maybe, maybe not rifts necessarily, but like, I don't know, if I was a player who was playing 20 minutes a game and then a guy who got eligible for two weeks 
cut into all of my playing time and then was ineligible again after that, like that, that can cause problems for a program. And it's like, is it worth bringing this, you know, if you're Utah, we'll use Devion Smith as an example, uh, a quality player who spent the last two years at Georgia Tech. He's not a, a, like a huge addition necessarily, but he, he would play for Utah. Utah's got two games in this two-week period of time against Utah Valley and Bellarmine. Do you play a guy like that who hasn't played yet this season for two games knowing that he might not be eligible for the rest of the year. And we also don't know what the NCAA is going to do in the future. If these players play and then they're deemed ineligible for the rest of the year, is the NCAA going to call that a year? Are they going to say, hey, you burned your year of eligibility? My guess is no, but we have no idea. We don't know. This is unprecedented situation for the NCAA, for the players, for the coaches, for everybody. It's, it's brand new. Uh, for those of you who follow Jeff Goodman on Twitter at Goodman Hoops, he has been uh, tweeting a lot of qu- quotes from anonymous sources from from coaches who are are unhappy about this. Uh, understandably, a lot of coaches who are saying, "Look, we did everything right. We were told the NCAA wasn't going to let these players be eligible, so we didn't recruit them. Now all of a sudden, they can all play." I get it. It's frustrating. The situation has not been handled well. Uh, without getting overly political, ten- bringing government into sports decisions has rarely worked. That's not to say the NCAA is is just the bat a thousand because they certainly are not, but this doesn't tend to help. And I, there's an argument to be made on both sides. Should players be able to transfer twice penalty-free? A lot of fans say no because they don't want to see more players entering the transfer portal, but at the same time, players feeling restricted by this uh, and certainly players in situations like, you know, where their coach got fired. There's a guy, I think there's, there's a couple guys on this list who were at a school their coach got fired, they transferred to another school, their coach got fired, they transferred to a third school. And it's like, yeah, I can see why fans don't like that. But at the same time, it's like you commit to a coach and they leave and now you don't get to, you're stuck there with a new coach. Like what if you don't get along with the new coach? Like it just doesn't really make a lot of sense there. Those should be exceptions. But a lot of these guys who are on this list were not given that exception. So there's just a lot of wonkiness, a lot of confusion. It's a weird, goofy situation right now. Uh, that's pretty fresh. Uh, there aren't really a lot of immediately relevant to Gonzaga players that are on this list. There are a couple former WCC players who are on the list. Keelan Boone uh, is at UNLV. He transferred from Oklahoma State to Pacific and then from Pacific to UNLV. Jordan Ivy Curry, similar situation. I uh, was at Pacific last year, is now at UT San Antonio. The most notable Gonzaga Example on here is Marcus Adams Jr. And this is already confusing, but Marcus Adams Jr.'s situation is the most confusing because technically he is a two-time transfer or a one-time transfer who has never played in college basketball because he started, he he committed to Kansas, enrolled in classes at Kansas, decided he didn't want to go to Kansas, couldn't just decommit, had to actually transfer, transferred to Gonzaga, spent a month with Gonzaga, I was going to say at Gonzaga, but I don't think he showed up on campus and then transferred again to BYU. And so he he's ineligible, presumably because of that rule. Now is BYU going to play him for the next couple of weeks? Do they, do they want to risk burning a year of eligibility on two games? Probably not. But it's a weird, wonky situation, like I said. We mentioned a few names already, a few bigger ones to, to keep an eye on. Brandon Murray at Ole Miss. 
The Rebels are undefeated right now. Brandon Murray is a uh, double-digit scorer of back-to-back uh, schools, uh, Power Six program, so that's a huge addition for them if they play him. Raekwon Battle and Noah Farrakhan for West Virginia. Raekwon Battle was at UW and then was an 18-point-per-game scorer at Montana State last year. Primo Spears at Florida State. Adam Miller at Arizona State are a couple other Power Five ones who are going to make an impact in their respective programs. But again, it's not a, a list of, there's not a bunch of superstars who are sitting out right now, but it's some quality players for some good programs that could make a pretty big difference. And at the end of the day, this is less about like, oh, how does this impact Gonzaga and more about like what is happening and how, like, why are we allowing this to happen? How do we like, this stuff shouldn't be happening in the middle of the season. And it, the, the ruling technically applies to all sports. So for football, it applies, but it's not relevant really right now. But it directly impacts basketball in a way that is we're still we're still learning. As I'm recording this right now, we're still learning. There might be a lot more information by the time you're listening to this, and, and certainly we'll continue to keep updated on this, what it means for Gonzaga, what it means for the NCAA, what it means for, for college basketball, the WCC, et cetera, uh, as we learn more about this going forward. That's going to wrap us up for today here on the Locked on Zags podcast. I want to thank all of you for making the show your first listen or your first watch of the day. Of course, shout out those everyday listeners as well and remind you to join the Discord channel where we've been talking about this very topic all day long. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back on Friday with another episode, more conversation about this UConn game. Until then, as always, go Zags. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.